Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's up, fam? How are you guys? My name is Adam. This is the Do Big Things podcast. We are all about doing big things. Getting outside, getting after it, getting a big run in, losing some weight, uh, overcoming something big in your life, some big obstacle, uh, addiction, um, whatever you got. We're all about doing big things. And we want to support you. We're there for you. And we want to hear your stories. If you have some good stories for us about how you've either done some big things or overcome some big obstacles in your life, give me a shout. We got your back and I'd like to hear about it. That's what we're all about. I live for that stuff. You know, uh, I love having new stories and inspiration in my life. So this isn't just about me. This isn't about our business. This isn't just, I mean, it's sort of about my friends, but it's not just about my friends. It's about you guys. I want to hear, I want to hear your stories. So whatever you got, give it up. Give me a shout. You can find me at big-things-crewing.com. Bigthingscrewing.com. That's us. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Uh, If you guys need help with your fitness, with getting in shape, with getting to the start line of an ultra marathon, or even that local 10K that you've been thinking about for years and years, give me a shout. We can set you up with coaching plans or training plans. We are literally helping people all over the world. Uh, But we got room for a couple more people. So give me a shout. Or if you come into Colorado and you're going to run an ultra marathon out here and you don't know anybody out here and you need crew, you need pacers for that race, give us a shout. We can literally come out and help you to the finish line. I've got all kinds of little tricks and tips that I've learned from the best pacers in the world. And I've got a whole bunch of them in my back pocket just ready to go. So if you guys need help getting to the finish line, we got you there too. We are all about inspiring other people to do big things. I've got a great guest for you guys today. His name is Ronnie Huckabee. And he was involved in a sport that I know almost nothing about. He was in the motocross world and he definitely overcame some big things. Uh, Imagine breaking your back and neck in six different places and then having to relearn everything. Having to relearn how to walk. And it's something I can't even imagine. I've never had to, to work through anything like that. But hopefully you guys dig the story. We're here to inspire. We're here to bring you guys the good stories. 
And uh, I hope you guys dig this conversation as much as I do. I'm super excited to bring it to you guys. Ronnie Huckabee is my brother, and uh, he's just one of those guys, you know? You can look at him and you know his head's in the right place and his heart's in the right place, and he's just one of those beautiful souls that uh, is just almost electric to be around. And so I'm pretty pumped to be bringing this story to you guys. So, like I said, uh, give me a shout if you guys have anything for us. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your big things. Hopefully you guys had a good week. Hopefully you guys are getting after it. Uh, Getting outside, getting for those runs, or staying inside and getting those home workouts done. Um, Most of us can't get to a gym nowadays. But hopefully you're still uh, out there getting after it. I know I am. Uh, I got out for a run today. What did I do? About six miles. I just ran about six miles with the dog today. And, you know, getting out on those longer runs on the weekends. Doing my best to stay active. Getting after it. Just trying to stay in shape. It, uh, it helps my mental game stay sharp as well. Because uh, I can just turn into a, a grumpy prick if I'm not working out. So it's something I, I have to stay on top of for sure. So, um, yeah, I always love hearing from you guys. So whatever you got, give it up. Um, and stay tuned. I got some great guests lined up for you guys. Uh, I'm trying to push the boundaries. I'm trying to do some big things. You know, starting this podcast was a big thing for me. I sucked at communicating I hated talking on the phone, Um, you know, just, just communicating, just communicating alone was definitely not my forte. And so it's something I continue to work on, something I'm trying to get better at. And uh, like I said, I'm trying to bring you guys the best. So that's about all I got for you guys this week. Um, Give me a shout. Like I said, love hearing from you guys. And without further ado, Mr. Ronnie Huckabee. Life is short. Do big things, baby. All right. What's up, guys? This is the Do Big Things podcast. And I am here with my beautiful business partner and life partner, and she's going to co-host with me tonight. Say hi. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And I'm here with my brother, Ronnie Huckabee. Oh, Beth Chambers, by the way. I didn't mention your name. Sorry. And I'm here with my brother, Ronnie Huckabee. Say what's up. What's up, everybody? All right. So we have had a good weekend, um, chilling and hunkered down in a couple cabins in Pine, Colorado, uh, got some mountain time, got some relaxation time, got some paddleboard time. We got Ronnie over here with the sharp haircut, looking all fresh. <laughs> thank you, Beth. Yes, thank you, <laughs> My Beth. My pleasure. <clears throat> but yeah, we had a good weekend um, in the mountains. And uh, so um, today I have a great guest for you. I'm talking to, uh, we're going to talk to my buddy uh, and brother, Ronnie Huckabee. And with this podcast, it's called the Do Big Things Podcast, and we're all about doing big things, whether that's going out and doing big runs, big things in the mountains, losing weight, or just overcoming big obstacles in your life. 
Um, I've had the pleasure to talk to all sorts of different people and people that fit into all those genres. And uh, Ronnie is no different. Um, he has overcome some, uh, some big things in his life. So without further ado, um, Ronnie, break it down for us, man. Tell us, tell us how you first got into motocross. So I grew up racing as, um, as a kid. My dad raced uh, semi-professional through the 70s and 80s and just picked it up as a kid. So I've been on motorcycles my entire life. Um, started probably racing more in my teens, um, raced through high school, went to Texas A&M, uh, so happened the one of the major tracks in Texas was on the way. So my dad would pick me up every weekend. So every weekend at A&M I was racing. And your dad was racing too? Racing too. Okay. And then, uh, we, boy, we'd go to California. We, we just go all over the country. Wow. But most of the races in Texas was a big, big race market. So I got to do it all through through um, high school and college. And um, and just explain to me, because I don't know anything about motocross, so what do these races look like? So they're usually, uh, the course is a bunch of jumps, natural terrain. Mm -hmm. um, some of it's man-made. Okay. Takes, you know, anywhere between, you know, two minutes to three minutes to make a full lap. Full lap, okay. And the race would, you know, be be between depending on your level between you know five to ten laps okay and it's a sprint um everybody's on the track at the same time and, and how then, many people uh, it could be uh, up to some of the big races have 40 people on the line oh yeah that seems like a lot of people imagine. it's a lot of people trying to get into the first turn at the same time oh yeah, yeah. that's a lot of people crashing it seems sure. like yeah. absolutely <laughs> had my share of those <laughs> 40 people that seems yeah, it seems a little excessive is that average was it usually that many no no the average would be oh you know 15 to 20 okay you know okay. in bigger races 20 you know 25 or 30 got it okay yeah got it so you're going around the track five to ten times as fast as possible yeah. and obviously you're trying to be the winner sure and it's called a moto okay so then typically there'd be two motos so you'd have you know one and you know, one, and then a few hours later, the next one, and then the combined score gotcha. overall wins. Yeah. Okay. So you're racing more than one time in a night. Oh yeah. Okay. And then usually you'd want to ride two different classes, so you might be riding, you know, four times. Okay. And if you're really physically fit, you might ride three classes, so you'll be riding six times. So gotcha. it takes a lot of endurance. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned endurance. Are you guys training? How are you guys training for this? I mean, obviously you're riding bikes a lot. You're you're practicing going off jumps and all that. Are you guys training outside of that as far as your physical fitness? Depends on how how high you want to take it. But if you want to be good at it, um, takes a lot of mental and physical stamina. Yeah. Because the motorcycles weigh a little over two hundred pounds. Yeah. Horsepower on the ones now are about sixty five horsepower. Okay. So you've got a 200 pound machine that's 65 horsepower that you're having to, you know, physically and throw around and mentally stay focused on what's going on. Mm -hmm. So endurance is really and cardio is a big part of it. For sure. So some of the biggest training, you know, outside of riding was usually running. Okay. Because okay. guys are running. If the guys that are doing it more professionally, okay, sure they're now they're cycling and they're doing a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. For sure. Sure. And I saw pictures of you back in the day, and it looked like you were pretty fit. What sort of exercising were you doing? During that time, it was, you know, between five and eight miles um, of running. Oh. And then, 
you know, just trying to ride the bike all the time, eating cleaner. Um, I usually, you know, relate a a full lap on the track is equivalent to a pretty hardcore sprint for about a mile. Mm -hmm. So if you had a a six lap race, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to probably sprint pretty hard for six miles if you were going to finish that race without being completely exhausted. Like sprint running. Yeah. Oh, wow. You have six and a half minute mile, okay. I guess. Yeah. Okay. You know. So I'm an idiot and I don't know anything about, about motocross. So like, what makes it so difficult? I mean, it looks like you're just on a motorcycle and the engine's doing all the work. Sure. But it's, it's <clears throat> again, you know, 65 horsepower is trying to pull out from under you. Mm-hmm. So it's keeping your body position mm-hmm. up on it. And you're doing a lot of jumps, going through a lot of rough parts so you have to physically move that thing around okay so it just the endurance level is is pretty high typically um racers they're running at between you know 90 to 98 percent of their max heart rate during a race oh wow yeah so it's pretty high okay so a lot of core work sure um, a lot of upper body work holding on to the handlebars i'm guessing yeah shoulders yep. um forearms yep um, leg strength. Okay. Yeah. So when you get done with a ri- with a, a race or going around the, the course five times, I'm sure your adrenaline's jacked, but you're still sore and you're feeling it like from the waist up or is it a full body workout? It's a full body workout, okay. but okay. where you get it the most is going to be in the arms. Yeah. Cause it's just the, the hand strength and holding on to it from yeah. trying to pull out from under you. Yeah. Do they teach you to loosen up on your grip? Or, or is it normally like a white knuckle? No, it's a loosen up. Okay. You have to ride relaxed. Yeah. Because the harder you grip, the the well, the more, the, yeah, the more you lose it. The more it. you tie your out. They call it arm pump. Okay. To where if you get so much blood flowing through your forearms, you just get to where you can't even hold on to it, and that's For where sure. it becomes dangerous. For sure. Wow. Wow. Okay, so sorry to interrupt, but um, you've been doing this since you were a kid, so go ahead. <clears throat> What else? <laughs> like just some of the races or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just like walk us through the life. Well, probably, you know, one of the highlights was, so every year there's a, a, a big amateur national and it's uh, goes through Loretta's Ranch in Tennessee. So everybody in the country, how they do this race is they have different sections of the country and they'll take the top five in each area of the country and they all wind up meeting at this uh, Loretta's Ranch in August. So that's where, you know, the best of the best meet once a year. So you, it's by invite? It's by qualification. Okay. okay. So they'll have different area qualifiers and regional qualifiers, and they just keep narrowing it down to where eventually it's, you know, five to six out of different areas of the country. Okay. And that's where when you get there, there's going to be 40 people in your class, and they're all the top 40 people from all the different areas of the country. Okay. And that's typically where all your professionals that are racing, um, you know, currently all went through there as amateurs. Mm, okay. And then once you kind of graduate there, then you can go on to be a professional. Okay. Gotcha. And you made it to the, you made it that far. I did win a title there. Okay. Um, at the time I was 25 uh-huh. and in this sport, you're an old man at 25. Really? Really? Yeah, most most of your professionals that win win those races, win them when they're you know sixteen, fifteen, because uh-huh. you can become a uh, professional. You can get your professional license when you turn sixteen. Oh, uh-huh. 
So okay. most of your really top professionals now are 16, 17, 18. Yep. And by the time they get in their late 20s, they're kind of getting to the end of their career. Okay. Because of injury? Injuries, endurance, and, yeah. um, you know, just mentally being, you know, I guess sharp enough, just the reflexes. Sure. Yeah. yeah there's still some pretty fast guys that are um, still racing at the top level that are in their early 30s. Okay. But most of your, your you know, you've heard of Jeremy McGrath. No. Okay. Um, you know, Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael, a lot of your, the biggest names out there, mm-hmm. by their mid-30s, they're, they're retired. Okay. They're still involved in the sport, but they're not racing at that level. Uh, okay. Okay. And so, going back, how old were you when you started? On motorcycles riding, I was probably five. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then you were racing in your teens? Started racing in my teens. My dad was racing all the time. Um, he he wasn't one of the dads that got out there and pushed me. He wasn't trying to live, um, you know, his his like life through me. Man. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. The dads out there just telling their kids just go faster, go faster. And I'm thinking, you go faster. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my dad just never pushed me and just encouraged me and always supported me. And yeah. you know, when I kind of got to the age I wanted to do it, then I just started doing it too. Gotcha. Okay. And then, so by the time you're 25 is when you're sort of peaking? Yes, I, I was, it was... So did you like peak slower than you would have liked or how did no, that No, because I didn't start racing till I was in high school. Okay. So I was already 18 when I kind of started racing. So that's a little late. Yeah, most of, most of these guys start racing when they're probably five, six, seven, eight. Okay. They start racing consistently mm. and work their way up to the ranks. Okay, yeah. okay. So you're racing when you're like 18, and then when you're 25, you make it to this Loretta Lens Ranch, and, and that's where you're starting to kill it, right? Yep, what, a, what an amateur national title, and um, it's kind of funny, I haven't talked about this in a while, but so what actually wound up happening was, <clears throat> as soon as that whole summer before, I really felt like God was calling me to you know, chase him. And I began at the races, you know, thinking God and thinking my parents and this and that. And some different things happened, was invited to some um, men's groups and some other things. And right after I won Loretta, which was what I wanted to do, that winning that race was really a, a high point that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the next week, uh, I went to a church that had just opened up, um, gave my life to Christ. And I actually didn't get back on my bike for almost two years. At what age? Uh, I was 25, 26. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't out of, um, racing is usually always on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's just typically. Yep. And it just felt like there was just other things, of, you know, God was calling me to. Like and what? just home life, getting, you know, family in order. Yep. And <clears throat> because I'd won the race, I kind of accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And then... Just going to church, I just was really wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never felt guilty. Never felt like, oh, well, you have to go. Mm-hmm. But I just looked so forward to it every Sunday. Mm. So I took probably about a two and a half year layoff. Okay. And then, you know, then again, started riding and having more fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of racing for, um, <clears throat> they call it uh, veterans classes. Mm. So it's plus 25, plus 30. Okay. They've, they've got racing events at Loretta for you know, plus 60 riders. Oh, wow. So okay. it's a lot of the guys have been doing it forever. They still have that, you know, they want to race. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
And in California, every year we were, I was still doing that. They'd always have the Vet National out in California at Glen Helen mm. race, and that's a really big event. Okay. And they've got again, they're all vet classes, twenty five up to you know sixty years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Still very competitive. Yeah. yeah. Just not at the professional level. Wow. Wow. And so, like you mentioned, you're a man of faith. How did your um, how did you become a man of faith? You said you got saved when you were like 25. Like, how did that all work out? So, I was working at a Caterpillar dealership, and I used to walk around with a scowl on my face. <laughs> Always just very intense. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a manager there that he would bring his Bible in, and just really solid guy. And one day he just asked me, he goes, it seems like you're searching for something. And it just kind of caught me off guard. And I said, I am, but I'm not sure what it is. Oh. And he said, it's Jesus. And it was that seed that was planted. And that happened that summer before I won Loretta. Okay. So during that summer building up to August, mm-hmm. I was invited to some, um, some men's prayer groups, yeah. started attending a few different churches, mm-hmm. started really understanding what the message was that God was trying to call us to him through Christ. And <clears throat> I really felt like um, at Loretta, when I won it, I really felt like God saying, okay, I gave you what you were looking for, which was uh, that title of Loretta. Because mm-hmm. to back that up a little bit, I'd already been to Loretta probably about five or six years. Oh, okay. Yeah, just okay. working my way up through the ranks and you know, different classes and growing. But it's when I won Loretta, and then I started going to the church, mm-hmm. and then I got saved. Mm-hmm. It was like God said, okay, I gave you what you wanted, now I want you. Mm-hmm. And you know, no regrets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what changed for you at that point? Like, what were you like before you got saved? And, and how did that change afterwards? I mean, you said your focus was more like on your family and following God's will. But um, what did that actually look like? You know, it just became less selfish. Yeah. I think, um, I think the intense look on my face was just, I don't know if it was, again, it was just a searching. Mm-hmm. And it was just overly intense about certain things that maybe didn't need to be so focused on and you know serving others mm-hmm. realizing that it's not all about me mm-hmm. and and I was okay with it yeah and wow. just you know again home life and mm-hmm. and you know racing is you know just like anything it can become your god because you focus on it so much and that's mm-hmm. all you do and everything else gets pushed aside and mm-hmm. uh so yeah Makes sense. So then you took a couple years off. Took a couple years off. Um, My dad continued racing and would always, you know, invite me back out. And, you know, as time progressed and, you know, kind of got some things in order in my life Mm -hmm. and, you know, started racing again. It wasn't that racing was bad. Mm -hmm. It just, it just didn't need to be the only thing I focused on Mm -hmm. because for years it was the only thing I focused on. Yeah. Okay. So what brought you back? Like while you were away from racing, did you feel guilty that you had kind of given this up? Like, um, you know, when I was a kid and like I quit band in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I could have played saxophone, you know, and it's like, (laughs) you'd be in a jazz band. I could have been in a jazz band. (laughs) And now looking back, I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad I quit when I did. But at the time there was a little bit of a guilt and like this nagging voice in my head did you have any of that no and I think that's where God just 
I took care of all that. Yeah. Because yeah. like I said, it wasn't that I felt um, that I felt like, oh, I have to go to church. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't a have-to thing. Mm-hmm. It's I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to know more of what God was, you know, saying and what he had done. Mm-hmm. And so that just became more of a passion. You were fired up. I was fired up. I really was. You're ready for that next chapter, too, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, after that, about two and a half years later, I did start racing again. Mm -hmm. And, but I did it with more of a balance. Okay. I think that's what what it comes down to. Like the balance with family life. Yeah, balance with family life. And it just, I was still very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, But it just wasn't my everything anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then what happened once you got back into racing? Like, were you, did you have to get back into shape or had you lost any fitness? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wound up going back to Loretta Lens again uh-huh. in, in, a, in a vet class. Okay. Uh, I think three, is it three or five years later? Okay. And I think I finished um, top 20. Okay. <laughs> so a little bit slower. A little bit slower. That's still very good. Yeah. <laughs> now, what were you rusty on? What is it just like, um, you know, just fine-tuning uh, the way you're moving on the bike? or It's, it's the physical fitness. Okay. It really is. Okay. Because when you're, when you're um, running at that max pace on your heart rate, mm-hmm. your body's just starving for oxygen. Yeah. And things aren't. Um, as reflective or reflexive as they used to be. Okay. So it's you're working a lot harder to try to make things work, and when you get completely exhausted or gassed out, then you're just trying to finish. At that really? point, you're not yeah. you know racing. There was a term we used to say you know race the track mm-hmm. or attack the track. So you're always attacking the corners, attacking the jumps. Well, when you're just physically wiped out, you're just kind of hanging on. And at that point, you're just hanging on for dear life to finish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And then, uh, so then you were back into it though, and you were a little bit slower than you were before. Um, where did it go from there? Um, you know, raced different races, practiced a lot, just had a lot of fun with it over the years, sustained a few injuries, um, broken collarbone, um, dislocated shoulders, uh, never really any major, major injuries at that point. Concussions. Lots, well, yes, quite a few of those over the years. <laughs> kind of learned that the uh, the helmet technology, um, especially now that I, I work, actually work within the industry, that the technology in the helmets has come so far than, you know, from what they used to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, concussions, had a lot of those over the years, but not, not any, you know, that recent, so it was just good. Yeah. Were you working in the industry back then? No. Okay. No, actually, the reason I got in the industry was because, so my dad raced, you know, consistently all the years and um, would always go to the races and, you know, tell me, hey, everybody asked about you, you know, always kind of bait me back in to, to ride. And mm-hmm. and um, I got a call in October of 2011 and uh, he he had a really major accident at a, at a track and was killed. Oh. Yeah. Your dad? Yeah. That's how he died. Yeah. Okay. So that happened and um I was how living old were you? Uh well it was it's coming up on what, nine years now? 
Okay. So yeah, I was probably right at 40, 41. Okay. Yeah. And you weren't there for it? No, I was in New Mexico and he was living in Houston and racing at a track in Houston. And again, he just raced every weekend. You know, that was kind of his stress reliever. And uh, I got a call from his phone on a Sunday and I answered it. You know, I thought he was just going to tell me how the day went and everything else. And it was one of his friends. And he just said, Hey, uh, you need to call your mom because your dad was in a really bad accident and it's not good. Mm. And I said, um, we, and we were at the time my kids were visiting and, you know, had some family there in New Mexico. And, uh, I asked him, it was, his name was Nick. I said, um, right before we hung up, I said, Nick was, was my dad breathing, you know, when, when they took him off the ambulance, cause I could hear it in his voice. He was pretty shaken up. Mm. He said, no, I don't think so. Oh, no. So I just hung up the phone and said, you know, God, if it's your will that uh, my dad lives, um, please heal him. Mm-hmm. And if that's not, then just give me the strength to walk through it all. Mm. <clears throat> and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, at that moment, you know, God just gave me a peace that, you know, passed all understanding and was able to drive home and take care of my mom and, um, you know, deal with my dad's funeral. And, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. My dad was kind of a mainstay in Houston for, you know, since the early 70s for racing and just didn't, knows people everywhere yeah, I bet. and <clears throat> we probably had four to five hundred people show up at his funeral and we didn't even put anything out online wow. and there was just so many you know people there that were just beside themselves mm-hmm. you know just couldn't believe you know mm-hmm. that my dad was gone and you know god's just gave me the strength to be able to encourage them you know and share the message of the gospel with them because, you know, one thing my dad had was uh, he was a man of faith, okay. and he lived it every day. Oh, okay. He, he lived it by serving others. Mm. Yeah. I had so many people tell me, uh, they apologized. They said, man, I feel like I took your dad away from your family because he was always helping us and always doing things with us, and he was away from you guys. And, and I just thought, no, he wasn't. He was always with us. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that with my dad was being in the moment. My dad was always in the moment. So when you had him with you, you had 100% of his attention. Mm-hmm. He wasn't always thinking about next week or other things he had going on. And he was just always in the moment and was just something, you know, a way that I wanted to live my life. Wow. I'm yeah. seeing that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you take any peace knowing that he died doing what he loved doing? You know, a lot of people say that because that's usually the, that's all they can say is, oh, at least he died, you know, and, and it resonates with some people and not others, you know, and for me, I just look at it as, um, it was instant, right? And if you have to go, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I guess that's probably the best way, Mm -hmm. you know, the alternative for those that say, oh, why, and why couldn't it have been this or that? And I think of other people who you know, struggle with cancer or struggle with something that is debilitating, you know, because my dad was always so self-sufficient and always fixed, you know, other people's stuff and was always helpful. You know, I think it would have probably just devastated him if he'd have been, you know, crippled and had to have other people, not because he was prideful, but because he wanted to help other people Mm -hmm. and didn't want to take away from other people, helping other people by having to, by having to help him. Right. So, you know, for me, there was a piece that, one, that he, you know, had that relationship with Christ, and two, that, you know, it was instant, he didn't suffer, mm-hmm. you know, because the alternative would be, 
probably suffering if it was sure. something else. So, yeah, yeah so I, I took great comfort in that. Yeah. Hmm. How did that affect your racing? Like, did that make you want to go out and race, or did it make you not want to go out and race, or how did things change at that point? Well, it, it didn't really affect my wanting to ride, because um, he always enjoyed it. I mean, over the years, you see accidents, and he's known plenty of people who have had accidents, and just realized, you know, part of any sport, you know, is injuries, and, you know, bad things can happen. So, uh, Nick, the guy that actually called me when my dad, you know, he was at the track with my dad. Nick was telling me a story from about maybe a year before that of another kid who was killed out of the track. Mm. And Nick was pretty shaken. I was like, I think I, I should, I should just quit riding. Mm. And my dad just, you know, put his hand on his shoulder and just said, yeah, it's a shame. You know, what happened to, what happened to that kid, but we got to, you got to ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, you don't just stop life over it. Mm-hmm. So I had no issues with, um, with writing. And, um, so one of the, one of our friends who had been in the industry that used to help, you know, help out my dad with some sponsorship stuff. Um, I saw him when I was coming into Houston, helping my mom for the next, you know, four or five months after my dad passed and went to church with my mom. And he asked me how things were going to New Mexico. And I said, good. He said, you're going to move back. And I said, no, I'm going to stay in New Mexico. And he said, man, they, they could use a rep. Um, you know, for, for the, the company that he worked for in New Mexico and I'd be perfect for it mm. for my sales background and then all my race yeah. racing. And I said, absolutely. Yeah. And I do remember now that you say that one of my, one of my only things that I had a little bit of regret when my dad passed was having a tie to the industry because he always pulled me back into it. He always, yeah. you know, I could, I could, you know, take eight months off and then go riding with him. And I was just always had a tie, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's a very family oriented sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of fun. And, uh, I just thought, man, I'm not going to have a tie anymore mm-hmm. because he was always my tie to being able to just get back into it anytime. So when the opportunity came up to come work for parts unlimited, uh, Le Mans Corp, um, I took it mm-hmm. and, and I was really glad to be back in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And probably one of the only things over the, you know, the last eight years now has been, you know, some cool new products come out, some, you know, neat things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to be able to share those with him and say, man, look at this cool yeah. thing now. But, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I miss that. So I do miss him. Yeah. Did you feel his presence at all when that opportunity was was presented to you? Do you feel like that was maybe just him on the other side still pulling you back into this or... Uh, no, I don't know. You know, kind of my take on it is, um, you know, absence with the body, present with the Lord. So I think if you're there with, with God, um, you're not really worried about what's going on down here. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah no, I never really, you know, kind of saw it that way, but, okay. you know, but I do, you know, do want to live my life in such a way that does, you know, would make him proud and honor, mm-hmm. honor what he's always done. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he would be. He sees yeah. it. He yeah. 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 And, uh, so then, then what? So then you've got this new job. Um, you know, you're working for parts unlimited. So you're back in the industry. Um, are you riding and, and racing regularly at that point? You know, I haven't really I'm trying to think, I don't think I've actually raced since, um, since he passed. I just do a lot of practicing. Okay. 
you know, have a lot of friends, you know, we'll go out and ride and, and have a good time. And, you know, the difference between practicing and racing is and practicing, you can, you know, back down that, that pace to about 70, yeah. you know, 60 or 70% and, you know, and, and have fun. Okay. And, uh, you know, so my training didn't train as much, but mm-hmm. just had a lot of fun riding. Okay. So I did a lot of riding in New Mexico, you know, came back to Houston and, and would race at some of the, you know, ride some of the tracks. Yeah. Had some fun doing that. Okay. So your major injuries weren't at a race at all. Uh, my shoulders, my shoulders and some of those other things were the one that Previously. maybe we're going to talk about yeah, is, yeah. Uh, wasn't at a race. Okay. So how did that one shake out? Um, obviously you eventually had a big injury. I mean, tell us about that day and how it all just, how it happened and from your point of view. So we went out to go practice at Rio Bravo, which is a, a track in uh, Northeast Houston. Went out with a bunch of my dad's friends you know, because there's a group of them that they'll just go out and ride, and and they just they're professional, uh, professional practicers, I guess, because mm-hmm. yeah. they just go out there and there's about eight or ten of them, and they'll just go out there and ride a bunch of laps together, so and they'll cool. come in, take a break, and go out and ride again, and cool. and you know when you're not trying to run at a hundred percent level, you're just got a better chance of not getting injured, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's just out practicing with them, having a good time, and unfortunately. Uh, just kind of allowed my brain to not stay focused on riding. Mm. I had spent probably five or six months before that riding a mountain bike um, about 28 miles a day. Okay. And when you're pedaling, you just start to kind of zone because you're just pedaling. Mm -hmm. You don't really need to be concentrating. And it's probably out of my third, third practice and our third, you know, uh, set of laps. And I go out, probably make two or three laps and, just felt really comfortable, and I think I just allowed my my uh, zoned out a little bit. Mm. And I remember coming over a as a jump, and then a a sweeping left hand turn, and then it, that turn drops off into a ravine, and you kind of run down this ravine and jump back out of it. And as I was coming around through that little uh, you know horseshoe of a turn, it's probably in about third gear, okay. and start so rolling fast. Yeah, it's probably, you know, 25 or 30, and then you start to, you know, with the throttle, click into fourth, and then it drops down into ravine, and in that lapse, I wasn't really positioned on the bike correctly, so as it dropped off into the ravine, my right foot slipped off the foot peg, Mm -hmm. which basically caused me to slide off the side of the bike, and then I was wide open, fourth gear, um, kind of hanging off the side of the bike, unable to let go of the throttle. Uh-huh. And in that instant, um, knowing that it was going to end very, very poorly, of all the years of riding, you know when you're not getting out of a certain, uh, you're going to hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably doing about 40, 45 miles an hour. And in that instant, knowing that it was going to end poorly, I just said, God be glorified. That's all I could think. Cause you knew you knew you were going down. I knew I was gonna, and I was I knew I was gonna go down hard, mm. and I just cried out to God, just God be glorified. Mm. And I've heard that you speak to yourself at about three thousand words a second mm-hmm. because you speak to yourself in thought, mm-hmm. so you speak to yourself very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I just said, God be glorified, and I had enough time to say it again before I actually um, hit the ground. But when I did the impact, I. Uh, all I could see was electric white. 
it just everything was white my body was very contorted um, I was very fortunate I didn't you know bounce and roll um, I just kind of uh, basically just planted into the ground mm. and I wind up um, breaking my neck and my back I guess but before I get into exactly those injuries yeah. I just laid there and just again say God be glorified I knew I hadn't died at that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was too yeah. much pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just listened um, to make sure another bike didn't run me over. Yeah. And waited for somebody to come up. And eventually somebody come, came running up and said, hey, hey, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I think I broke my back or my neck. So are you off the track entirely at this point or are you um, still on the track? My friends have told me I was halfway on the track and halfway off to the side. Okay. So I just... And you went down on your right side? Went down on my right side. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So basically landed kind of on my back. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the way I was hanging off the bike, it just kind of had me turned, and then I just hit the ground. And yeah. the bike never hit you? No, fortunately that didn't, the bike never hit me. So you're still kind of on the bike? I was on the bike. So my left leg was basically hanging on the seat, and the right side of my my body was dragging the ground. Uh. And my right hand had the throttle okay. wide open, uh, and I just couldn't let go of it. Why? Cause just because you're you're hanging on to it, so you just can't. Oh, let me just let go of it and fall off. Yeah, yeah. And it was all so quick; it was probably all within a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I've been <laughs> I've been hit in the face before, and you get that flash of white light, but there's like usually so much for me. There was like so much adrenaline going that you kind of feel it, but you don't really feel it. And so this, I'm sure, was ten a thousand times more intense. Um, what did it feel like? I, I mean, I, I guess it knocked the breath out of me. Okay. Um, and it, like I say, it was just it was white, white light is all I could see. It was like electric shock. Mm -hmm. And my body was very contorted. Like I couldn't. I had no movement in my arms. No movement in my legs. Um, and I just sat there for a while and again started listening for someone to come up. And then eventually everything started, you know, to kind of recenter. Mm -hmm. I could kind of finally start to move things. But for a moment, I was basically paralyzed or, you know, in shock in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you start moving stuff? I mean, you, you thought you broke your back. So did you kind of stay in the position you were in? Or? Well, I did. And I was like, really couldn't move anything. Yeah. And it just, it was, it was a pain that I'd never felt before in all the other injuries. And I really couldn't move things. So I knew that something wasn't right. Yeah. And the pain was in your back and your neck? It was, was just it, all it, over. It kind of at that point, it was kind of all over. Yeah. You know, and then as it started, um, you know, part of that started going away. It started, you know focusing on the areas that was hurt. But again, not being really able to move my any of my limbs. Mm -hmm. yeah. At a moment, I knew something was really bad. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you're laying on the ground. You're listening for other motorcycle, or other bikes to be coming your way to, to make sure they don't crash into you, right? But even if they were coming your way, you wouldn't be, be able to I wouldn't to be able to do anything. I was just, anyways. it was kind of, I had at least enough wits about me to, to think, Boy, I sure hope nobody runs me over because this is going to be bad. Wow. wow. And then did people come rushing over you to make sure you were okay? Or? They did. I, okay. There was a voice, uh, like a guy that said, uh, hey, are you okay? And I said, no, I think I broke my back or my neck. And he said, um, 
do you, do you should we call an ambulance? And it was funny because in all the years and all the injuries, I've never taken an ambulance ride to a hospital. I've woken up in the back of ambulances from concussions, but we've never actually ridden. And I thought, okay. I wonder if I can get up. So for half a second, I, I closed my eyes and I started to turn to roll to my side to get up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't roll very far before I realized I'm not going anywhere. I said, yeah, we need to call an ambulance. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, you kind of mentioned what was going through your head. I mean, you're just sort of in a survival mode. You called out to God. Is there anything else that's going through your head at that point? Or is, are you completely present? Or are completely you... present. Okay. Mm-hmm. I n- no, no, you know, head injuries um, at that point. Um, all my wits were about me. Again, I think it was a, a blessing that God kept me conscious to be able to talk to the paramedics, mm-hmm. to not be moved. Um, as we were laying there waiting for the paramedics to come, it was probably a good 25 or 30 minutes before mm-hmm. um, the ambulances came. And as I was laying there and I was talking to, uh, you know, my friends, I just started telling them, you know, all the things they need to do, the way they should load my bike. <laughs> make sure this is done right, you know, make sure this is done. Hey, I, this part needs to be put here. Grab my phone. I need to call a couple friends and tell them um, that I'm not going to be able to go on this trip. And uh, they were just shaking their heads saying, relax, you know, it's all going to be fine. I was like, no, you need to call them. I got you. They just need to know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had all my wits about me. Wow. Um, it was a little scary. My, I couldn't move my right leg. Okay. So when the... Uh, yeah, you because know, they were trying to, uh, you know, they were just trying to assess what was, you know, mm-hmm. what was working, what wasn't working, and my uh, my right leg was completely um, couldn't do anything with it. But as, as before the ambulances got there, I told all my friends to take start taking off my motorcycle gear because the first thing paramedics do is they just cut it off or they ruin it. Mm-hmm. So you know they'll ruin the helmet, they'll ruin the you know three hundred fifty dollar boots. Mm-hmm. I think I had six hundred dollar knee braces. I was like, "Please get all that stuff off of me before they wow. get here." Wow! <laughs> I just well, you don't want to move. I just I didn't want to ruin you know a thousand dollars worth of equipment, you know before. <laughs> and then at one point, I told uh, I told Nick, I said, "Hey, you should probably call my mom um, to let her know." And then I thought, "Wait, don't call her yet because I don't want to get her in a panic." Yeah. She already dealt with my dad eight years before. Oh, yeah. I said, uh, call my uh, call my sister. <laughs> She's got a good head on her shoulders. Let's let her know what's going on. Okay. And um, I found out later when they when they called my sister, they just told her, uh, well, that I was hurt and my hip was sore or something. Yeah, they just kind of <laughs> didn't want to panic anybody. Sugar recorded it. Yeah. <laughs> so the the ambulance people get there. They they did a really good job of you know putting me down on a stretcher, putting me in the ambulance. Um, I think they probably gave me some, something for the pain relief. Mm-hmm. I had yeah. some, some nerve damage that was uh, causing hypersensitivity mm-hmm. all through my, my side. So the slightest touch just felt like fire really? and it was, yeah, it was just a nerve that had been, um, damaged. And I remember on the way to the hospital, um, you know, it was a little bumpy and whatever, but you know, I was just talking to the paramedics the entire time and there was a really interesting thing there's some things that god did through through all of it that just let me know he was there the entire time as i'm being pulled out of the ambulance i remember coming out on the gurney and 
I remember the paramedics saying, this is going to hurt. And I remember thinking to myself, it all hurts. I mean, it, just, it all hurts at this point. <laughs> so, okay, whatever. <laughs> and um, so, you know, that I'll come back around to later. So he says, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it all hurts. So I wound up uh, going into, you know, they, they get me in, in there and they do the x-rays and they do some things. And what was really interesting is the hospital that I went to is a trauma level three hospital. So I was very fortunate. They took yeah. me from Northeast Houston all the way down to Pasadena okay. to a, a Bayshore Hospital. And they passed a lot of hospitals on the way. Yeah. And I kind of realized later why. Um, so there was a, a, a neurosurgeon there that was just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And after the x-rays, he said no less than six people have to move me at, at a time because they had to keep me completely still or else I'd be paralyzed. Mm. And, um, and as it turns out, they did the surgery. I wound up breaking, let's see, wound up breaking, I think, C4, 5, and 6 in my neck, uh, T1 in my back, and then I think it was uh, T1011 was a burst fracture, which a burst fracture in your back is the, the, the whole spine is broken and there's nothing holding it together at that point. Wow. So... It was pretty traumatic injury, and uh, doctor did surgery the next day. Um, put some uh, two rods in my back, you know, neck brace because my neck was just those were just cracks. But they did the two rods, and then um, three days after my accident, I was up. I was up walking. Wow! Yeah, wow. with a back brace and a walker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. And then, so I wound up spending 12 days in the hospital. I was seven days in ICU, um, five days uh, in a regular room. And literally within, uh, so I was up walking the three days later and then started physical therapy. And then by day seven, I almost didn't need a walker. I was able to, I was walking around um, the hospital and on day seven, I I was walking, and this is where God comes back into play, let me know he was there. I had a nurse stop me and said, are you the guy they brought in last Sunday? And I said, I am. And she goes, oh, my God, I can't believe you're walking. This is, you know, it's a miracle. And I, I just kind of smiled and said, it sure is. And she says, no, you don't understand. She goes, I was outside um, on break when they brought you, and they brought you out of the ambulance. She said, they had lifted up my knees and had my arms folded and were just going to basically chuck me from one bed to the other. Mm -hmm. And that's when they said, Hey, this is going to hurt because they were just about to just kind of heave me over. And she yelled out, stop, use the board. So, and I said, did they? And she said, yes. So when she said, stop, use the board, they actually got another board, slid it under me. And then lifted me up really slowly and moved me over to the other, the hospital gurney. Okay. And had that not happened, there's a really good chance I would be par- permanently paralyzed. Mm. Yeah. Because that would have just been another traumatic yeah. shock. And um, and I just said, I said, you were God's hand in that moment. Because mm-hmm. God just told me, you know, she, he was there at that moment telling her to tell them. And they did it. And it kept me from being paralyzed. Wow. Yeah. 
Have you ever talked to her since then? No. Wow. No, just Do you know randomly. Her name or anything? I don't. Oh, wow. I don't. Wow. She just was a like a nurse's assistant. Yeah. And she just stopped me. Wow. And it was oh, just. Wonderful. Yeah, it was just one of those things. She stopped me and said, are you the guy? And I said, I am. And she goes, I was outside. Mm. And she said, I heard them say, this is going to hurt. And she yelled out, stop. And that's why I just was like, well, did they? And she said, yes. And I was like, oh, Wow. <laughs> Wow, and I said, you were God's hand in that moment, and she just teared up. Yeah. Wow. She was like an angel. I, absolutely. She was there for a reason. Yeah, you know, it absolutely could be. Wow. You know? Wow. Oh, and I, I remember you know, before before I got discharged, you know, I was walking up and down the stairs. I was doing all the stuff that they probably didn't want me to do, because <laughs> I just, I, I was kind of like, okay, when can I get out of this place? <laughs> and... um before I got discharged, it was the first time I got to see the surgeon, um, Dr. Paxabon. Um, when he came in to see me right before I got discharged, he could not believe that I was up and that mobile mm. that quick. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you broke your back and neck in six different places? Um, yes. Let's see. Three places in my neck and, yeah, probably three places in my back. That's crazy. So here is the, this is a picture of the, this is from the doctor's phone. So that's the spinal cord and that's where it's broken. And you can see right there, that's oh. where it's about to sever the nerve. Oh. So that, that's the nerve that it was into it. Oh yes. I mean, it was more than halfway, almost yeah. severed. Wow. So that's why he said no less than six people move this guy at once. Jeez. Wow. I'll send you that picture. Yeah. Yeah. And that was sure. from his phone. Because he walked in to, sh to show my mom, well, this is his back, and my mom took a picture of it, and I just, so, and then it, yeah, nice little scar. I mean, I don't know anything about back breaks, but that looks like a compound break, you know? Like, if someone breaks their leg, and it, it's a clean break all the way through, and that bone is just not even attached at all, that's what that looks like. Yeah, so, when, um, when you break a back, there's two breaks, there's a compression, a compression fracture. Okay which is just a broken bone in there mm -hmm. or a burst fracture, which is completely broken, which would be kind of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was a burst fracture. So it's like the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Cause there's nothing holding it stable anymore. Okay. Just your spinal cord at wow. that point. Wow. And so that was one of the breaks. And then there was other breaks going up your back and into your neck. And those were just, uh, those would be more of the um, compression fractures. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, so the, the neck brace I had to wear for six weeks, and then I had to wear a full body plastic thing mm -hmm. holding my, you know, mm -hmm. everything together for three months. Wow. Wow. So going back just a little bit, I mean, so like the doctor didn't do, do surgery until the next day, right? Correct. So like what was that night like for you? Were you just... I knocked you out in agony or were you on pain meds or were you praying or where was your head at i was um so it's funny you say that because uh in the middle of the night i'd been telling the entire time i can't i can't breathe mm -hmm. i had really short breath and i think they were just kind of um probably taken back that i was very just calm and just matter of fact i just can't breathe mm -hmm. so i had very very shallow breath and it turns out i had a punctured lung so, um, they wound up draining, uh, they did a chest tube, which was very painful mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, took a, a pint and a half of, you know, blood out of my, out of my lung. Out and then lung. I could breathe. 
Um, but in the middle of the night, I, I do recall, this was a little scary because I remember no less than six people. Well, the middle of the night, they took me down for another x-ray, probably to make sure my uh, lungs were, were cleared. Mm -hmm. And there was only two of them. And they were moving me, and I was so adamant. Mm -hmm. Doctor said six, doctor said six. Mm -hmm. And they were overly careful, but it was only two, and I was so, I was a little bit livid. Yeah. But they were careful enough, thank goodness. But I remember that, that first night, like, they're supposed to be six, what is there only two for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. But as it all turned out, the, uh, yeah, the next day, you know, did the surgery, and I woke up, and... You know, my right leg was moving again, and wow. I was really happy. Wow. That instant. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, the, probably the most painful thing of all of it was just the, the nerve damage. Okay. Uh, the, the nerve, basically from my navel, wrapped around my right side up to the middle of my back, was just on fire. Mm -hmm. The slightest thing, it was just so painful. Wow. And then what were the, remain, what were the, like, the next few days in the hospital like? I mean, you had your surgery... You started feeling better, and you were able to move around a little bit, but, I mean, what was a hospital stay like? Again, Pretty miserable. And, and, like, where was your head at? Every three hours, you'd have to come in there and take vitals, and you couldn't really rest. And, um, yeah, that was, it was rough. Just couldn't get really, just couldn't get comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of pain meds, mm -hmm. um, some pretty heavy pain meds. Yeah. I don't really care for those normally, yeah. but in that case, it yeah. was nice to I'm sure. just dull the pain. Yeah, yeah. And I got to where uh, I knew the rotation. So when the nurses switched hands, mm -hmm. the pain meds they had me on were every four hours mm -hmm. um, consistently. And I knew if the nurse was going to be changing shifts at a certain time, there could be an hour delay. So I made sure that they had me on the clock to make sure it happened. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of, yeah. kind of ran, ran that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this point, your mom knew, I'm guessing, did she, she came visit you? Are you having visitors in the hospital? Okay. So yeah, that's the other part. So they finally, I remember laying in the emergency room. This was before the x-rays and, uh, Nick, Nick kind of wakes me up and says, Hey, your mom's on the phone. She's freaking out because when my dad had passed, nobody told her because it was just, you know, so she rushes the hospital thinking it's going to be like yeah. the previous injuries. And then she gets there and realizes it's much different and they kind of put her in a room and then she finds out he's passed. So because they were being so evasive about me, she's freaking, freaking out. out. So I said, just hand me the phone. Mm -hmm. And I do remember, um, he dials her, her number, and I'm just as I'm laying there. I just said, "Mom, I'm I'm here. I'm okay. I'm not going anywhere. Just take your time." Mm -hmm. So it gave her a little bit of relief. Yeah. But um, yeah, all in all, I mean, she handled it well. She wasn't, yeah, you know, she didn't want to burn my motorcycle or destroy <laughs> it or anything. So I guess that worked out. <laughs> So then over the course of, what, a week or two, you're, you're slowly moving around? You're... Slowly moving around, walking around the hospital, waiting to get discharged, trying to find out, you know, what's my recovery, when would I be able to ride again? And um, You were already thinking when I was thinking, ride. you know, because when, when, I you know, still enjoyed riding. Of course. Checking on your bike. Make and, sure. uh, <laughs> and he said, um, I had a few, you know, different x-rays and follow-ups, you know, over 
I think once in two weeks, another one in three months, and then after about six months, I got released. Okay. Um, six months. Yeah, about six, seven months, I was released to 100% do what I wanted to. Okay. okay. So the only thing holding me that back at that point would be just, you know, strength. Yeah. Um, lost a lot of uh, my core. Mm-hmm. My core one time was very strong, but when you wear a brace that completely holds up your body for three months. Yeah. Takes it away just all goes away. I bet. And um, so I started doing some physical therapy. Found a really good trainer that does a lot of uh, professional athletes. Um, that uh, did some just good strength training and stretching. And it's just something I'll constantly deal with the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, probably I would say I'm I'm a good 90, 95%. Wow. You know, I'm always going to have... Uh, you know, some pain, some stretching issues, mm-hmm. uh, but overall, physically, you know, I do everything that I want to do. Six months is a pretty quick turnaround for yeah. your for your injuries. I mean, um, is that partly due to your physical fitness? Do you put that t- t- towards your faith? Like, what do you think? I would say both. Um, part of the, the one of the benefits I had before I was injured is I told you I was riding uh, my mountain bike about 27, 28 miles a day. Mm-hmm. I was probably in the best physical shape of my life when it happened. Mm-hmm. So that gave the doctor a lot of encouragement because I was so physically fit. He said, you'll recover mm-hmm. much quicker. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, had I, had I had the injury in the shape that I am currently, <laughs> it wouldn't be as good, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, very lean, very fit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I recovered very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I'm very fortunate yeah. that, you know, just all the exercising and, kind of training stuff mm-hmm. I was doing just mm-hmm. put me in a really good position to recover quickly. Yeah. And then so. again, you know, I, I do give all the credit to God that I just asked him to be glorified and yeah. I get a yeah. chance to glorify him every time I, you know, get to talk about it. That's crazy. Yeah. So you hear people like in the hospital, they're just staying super positive and they're almost willing themselves to health. And you hear of other people going to that negative dark place and them taking a long time to recover like, where was your head? What were your thoughts? Um, were you praying every day? Were you staying super positive? Did you know you're eventually going to get back on your bike again? Or Yeah, I was just positive um, and just felt blessed. Yeah, to be you alive? Know, just blessed to be alive, blessed that it wasn't permanent, yeah. you know. I did have a little bit of a selfish ask at one point when I was on the track, probably in between the, you know, Second, third time, I asked God to be glorified. I just said, and I know this is selfish, but I don't want to be paralyzed. So if that's, you know, yeah. hope that's not your will. And yeah. uh, <laughs> at least not permanently. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, it turned out like it did. So now I was very positive in the hospital and just, uh, you know, I was just happy to be alive mm-hmm. and happy that it wasn't um, permanent. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So now you're at 90 some odd percent of, uh, you know, before, before the accident, what have you learned through all this? Like, oh boy, that, um, you know, our bodies will break. Yeah. We're not invincible. Yeah. But, um, did you feel like you were invincible before that? Probably didn't give a whole lot of thought to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never been injured that way. For sure. But, um, no, you know, just, uh. You know, live, live every day in the moment, yeah. you know, live every day, um, with a purpose and live it, you know, you never know when your last day could be. 
mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just try to, to serve others. And, um, and I don't let the small stuff bother me. Mm-hmm. That's really, there's a lot of things that I just kind of, Hey, it's all right. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I just don't let things get under my skin. Yeah. And, you know, I realize if other people are having a bad day, that maybe they're just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold it yeah. against them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and try not to, you know, just live life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you been able, to, been able to, like, use this injury to help other people or talk to other people who have been injured and encourage them? Um, you know, here and there, I've, I've told people to stay positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not so much. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I just know that people, I have a friend that I ride, you know, mountain, mountain bike with now and, you know, he's helped me move and I've helped him move and do things with furniture and, and, you know, I'm water skiing again. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these things and they just, they're blown away. They say, man, I can't believe, you yeah. just it's a miracle. Honestly, yeah, it absolutely is. Wow. All credit to God, right? All credit to God for sure. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. So it makes yeah. you want to live life with a purpose. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, God didn't save me to just be selfish and focus on me. So, mm-hmm. you know, just try to invest in other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's kind of one thing I've learned. Mm-hmm. You know, you can invest in things which are all passing away anyway, or invest in people which are eternal and, you know, just try to, to invest in others. Yeah. You know, that's what I try to do daily. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Well, you're an inspiration to me, man. I mean, uh, I haven't known you for a super long time, but as soon as I met you, I, I could just tell that you're like a good, solid dude. Like, just good heart, good head, head in the right place. Like, I could tell just right away. So, um, you're an inspiration to us, and uh, hopefully you inspire other people, whether it's through this or, you know, whatever else God has in your life in the future. I mean, yeah, it's a miracle that you're alive, Absolutely. And you have to be alive for some reason, right? Yes. You know, yep. I mean, who knows what, what it is. I mean, we don't know where this journey takes us. That's true. Yeah. It could be anywhere. Well, and your listen. smiles all the time now. That, That's that true. That sad yeah. face is the, not the, there The wrinkle anymore. on my forehead is, is usually, it's not <laughs> there. Iron right I out. <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with us, man. It's been yes, fantastic. You. You're an inspiration to to us, and um, and so and you are to me as well. Hey, thanks. No, we just love watching the way you live, and uh, it's uh, you're a role model in us in in a way. So yeah, just thanks for being you, man. Yeah, and that that's humbling. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's very humbling to, um, as you know. Yeah. You know, when other people are looking at you, it's it's how you live. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, we do the best we can, but. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think? Sorry it cut out there a little bit at the end, but we were about 10 seconds away from wrapping up when uh, that hour podcast was up and uh, it shut down on us. But I think you got it all. I mean, can you imagine breaking your back and your neck in six different places? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine... Maybe some of you guys have gone through something similar. Maybe you guys have had some big injuries that you overcame. Uh, Gosh, it's just unbelievable that he's he's walking, let alone, you know, 
back to 90 some odd percent. It's, it's a miracle. And I think it's really special that he just, you know, credits his faith in God. Uh, I'm certainly not trying to push any religion on you guys, but Ronnie's a believer. I'm a believer. So I thought that it would be appropriate if I closed this out with uh, a little Bible verse for you guys. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You guys can think whatever you want. I take truth from all different resources out there. And uh, the Bible is no exception. Um, You know, I I can find fault in every single thing out there and I can find truth in every single thing out there. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that that Ronnie credits his faith to his miraculous healing. Um, You know, I'm not trying to, to sway you guys from whatever your beliefs are. Believe whatever you want. I think it's a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm just super proud of him. And when I talk to Ronnie, I, I feel that in him. I feel his honesty. I feel his integrity. I feel his truth. And to me, it's just a beautiful thing. So with that, you guys take whatever truth you can out of that. You know? Um, it is what it is, and uh, to me, it's just a, a, a beautiful thing, and it uh, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So, I'm not trying to get all weird on you guys. Um, you know, I'm not here to, to sway you or, or make you believe what I believe, or uh, you know, you guys have to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. And uh, I think it's beautiful when, when we all have differing opinions and, and we can sit down and share those with each other. So that's all I got for you guys this week. I hope you guys have a great week. Again, you can find me at big-things-crewing.com. We're on all the socials. You can find us. We're out there. Um, and uh, if you want to support this podcast, the best way to do that is to share it on social media. Leave us a like or give us a review. Uh, that helps this podcast be seen more and uh, just helps us to get out there and hopefully inspire other people and touch other people's lives because that's all we're here for. Uh, I'm here for service. I feel like service is one of the, the great things we can do in life. And uh, I'm not talented, I'm not special, but uh, I know all these weirdos that have awesome stories, so I'm here to bring them to you guys. So you guys have a good week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Got some great, great guests coming up, so hang tight. Life is short. Do big things.